Each of us likes to believe we think for ourselves, But do we? This is the Quest for Life podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Quest for Life podcast. I'm Dr. Ed Slover, and I'm fiercely passionate about my faith, family, and friends, and all the blessings each brings to my life. As you can probably tell, cold and flu season hit the good doctor fairly hard. The last couple of days have been somewhat brutal. Uh, Anyone suffering from this flu or cold, whatever this is, my heart goes out to you. Don't wish this upon anyone. Uh, So I'm sitting here in the Quest for Life podcast studio, also known as my office, with chloroseptic tabs tissue and water just trying to grind through it. But I'm really excited about the episode today, and I'm going to start it off with a couple of questions. First, why do you think you believe what you believe? Next, how do you know what you know? If you're anything like me, the answer to the first question relates to childhood and what we're taught by our parents, teachers, and coaches. What these adults did, and this isn't necessarily good or bad, was download their worldview to us. And as children, we generally accepted this as truth, and that helped shape our beliefs, rightly or wrongly, correctly or incorrectly. Now, as we mature and become adults, we generally come to realize at some point or another is that the beliefs of our, those were beliefs of our parents, teachers, and coaches, and they're not necessarily our beliefs. Answering the second question, how do we know what we know, is similar, but it broadens the sources of information beyond that of the adults we grew up with. Specifically, these sources of information, such as mainstream media, companies trying to sell us products, or other authorities, all have agendas. While this is similar to what we learned from our parents, teachers, and coaches, these agendas can vary wildly, and they don't necessarily have our best interests in mind. This, of course, assumes that the adults that we grew up with did, in fact, have our best interests in mind. I think that's a fairly safe assumption. So all that said, the spirit of today's episode relates to moving beyond simply cherry-picking what's convenient or most prominent toward living with healthy skepticism and possessing a willingness to interrogate the truth. So let's get started. In 1983, 90% of the mainstream media in the United States was owned by 50 companies. As of 2011, that number is six. The six companies include General Electric, News Corp, Disney, Viacom, Time Warner, and CBS. Within these six organizations, roughly 250 media executives control the information diet of 300 plus million Americans. And these data points don't even include social media. Singer-songwriter Jim Morrison, formerly of the band The Doors, once said, quote, whoever controls the media controls the mind, unquote. We see this sentiment show up in our daily, quote, news and political rhetoric. And whether it's outlets like CNN or MSNBC that appeal to liberal or left-leaning citizens, or Fox News that appeals to more conservative types, the ubiquitous nature of 24-7 content shapes our thoughts and minds. And if you think these media outlets don't have an agenda, think again. 
as the quote, most trusted news source, the mainstream media positions itself as authorities that shape public discourse, affect elections, and propagate culture. If you pay close enough attention, most of the information that gets communicated is less news and more narrative, which is care carefully crafted to get uh, to drive belief in in the audience. So I'm going to play a, a video clip. It's about 90 seconds. And this is from four years ago, and it's somewhat alarming, but it illustrates the point about how narrative is ultimately crafted. So I'm going to go ahead and play this, and you can decide for yourself. Communities, the El Paso Las Cruces communities, Eastern Iowa communities, Mid Michigan communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS 4 News produces. But we are concerned about plaguing our country. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media outlets publish the same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common, common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming, some media This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 Hmm. If you're interested in that video clip, jump on YouTube. The title is uh, aptly, This is Extremely Dangerous to Our Democracy. So how can you think for yourself? Explore alternative media outlets such as The Daily Wire, Airmail, The Onion, or Truthdig. There are a bunch out there, but those are examples of several. This will allow you to bounce different ideas off of what the mainstream media is touting and allow you to think for yourself. Next up, climate change. And reflecting on the term climate change, I can't help but think of a more vague, nebulous term. Of course, the climate is changing. It's in constant flux. And it seems to be an adjunct to what I experienced growing up, which was known as global warming. And this was communicated ad nauseum in the late 1980s and throughout the 1990s. We were given warnings, much like today, that the polar ice caps are melting at an alarming rate and that coastal cities would be decimated due to rising sea levels. Interestingly, climate experts warned us of an impending ice age in the 1970s. And when that didn't happen, they pivoted to global warming. Now, immaterial of your position on whether climate change is a thing or not, and with many people believing it's an existential threat while others believe it to be scaremongering, the data are conflicting. The fact that global temperatures are rising is not in dispute. 
Data suggests that since the early 1900s, the Earth's surface air temperature has risen by 1.4 degrees Fahrenheit. And that corresponds to melting ice caps, reduced sea ice, warmer oceans, and changes in migratory patterns of animals. Further, NASA reports that sea levels have, written, have risen 3.2 millimeters per year since the start of the 21st century. And this is, at least this is how this is touted, as a direct result of CO2 emissions caused by an ever-increasing growth in population of humans. But as I mentioned, the data are conflicting. It may surprise you to learn that in 2020, it was the first time in decades that ice on both polar caps grew. And this is according to the National Snow and Ice Data Center, the NSIDC. Even experts at NASA conclude that the upcoming solar cycle, which is roughly the next 25 years, will be the weakest of the past 200 years. What this means is that the Earth will experience a period of global cooling, hence climate change. So how can you think for yourself? Research and examine the evidence con conducted by credible agencies and or from peer-reviewed journals. This will allow you to expand your knowledge and allow you to think for yourself. Next up, driving electric vehicles. As a juxtaposition to climate change, the push toward getting off our reliance on fossil fuels is an ongoing debate. And once again, the information presented is conflicting. Proponents of electric vehicles tout the, tout the reduction of a person's carbon footprint, and there's evidence to support that claim. Accordingly, data from a laboratory in Britain found that Drivers of a Tesla Model 3 would only need to drive 13,500 miles before it does less harm to the environment than a gas-powered Toyota Corolla. For context, 13,500 miles is roughly one year of driving, and this is the environmental break-even point. When you consider the lifetime benefit of driving an electric vehicle as compared to a gas or diesel-powered vehicle, this seems convincing. After all, electric vehicles are powered by the most advanced lithium-ion batteries in, in, you know, on the planet. And these batteries pack 10 times as much power as the average household uses in a day. And operating electric vehicles results in a zero-carbon output. That said, of course, before you consider what it takes to recharge the batteries in addition to what it takes to obtain the lithium necessary to produce the batteries in the first place. The mining of lithium, in addition to other minerals needed to develop the batteries, such as cobalt and nickel, requires a substantial amount of carbon output, as the heavy machinery used for mining is fossil fuel-based. From there, these minerals need to be processed, which involves significant emissions of carbon and a large, water, a large water supply of fresh water, which ultimately gets contaminated. And this contaminated water needs to go someplace, and depending on the regulations of a given country or region, results in the water ending up back in the water table. This by itself has negative environmental impacts. As for charging the batteries, most people use the electric outlets in their home. These are ironically powered largely by coal, which is probably the dirtiest way to produce the electricity needed to recharge a car battery and is only marginally better than burning gasoline. 
taking all this to an, into account, charging a battery creates less than half the carbon footprint gas-powered vehicles do. And while this is an improvement, it doesn't mean that going electric doesn't or won't have a negative environmental impact. So how can you think for yourself? Do your homework. Consider moving beyond ideological considerations and ground in the facts. This will allow you to make better, more informed decisions, thereby allowing you to think for yourself. Next up, and this is a bit of a hard left turn on this think for yourself concept, but it gets into natural compounds that were studied previously and then uh, criminalized later and are now sort of resurfacing. And this particular topic is psilocybin. For those of you that aren't aware, psilocybin is the active ingredient in magic mushrooms. People who take magic mushrooms at appropriate doses feel a sense of euphoria, giggliness, tingling, and hallucinations known as tripping. When used inappropriately or in the wrong settings, users can experience what's known as a bad trip, wherein they experience, they experience paranoia, anxiousness, and it might even get nauseous or even feeling overwhelmed. In the United States, psilocybin has been illegal since 1968 through an amendment to the Food, Drug, and Narcotics Act. This wasn't fully enforced until 1971 with the passage of the Controlled Substance Act, which marked the beginning of America's war on drugs. And if you paid any attention to America's war on drugs for the last 50 years, it's been nothing short of a dumpster fire. But that's an entirely separate podcast episode. While most of the published, quote, evidence touts the deleterious effects of psilocybin, it was a compound that was studied regularly between 1950 and 1970 and showed considerable promise as a potential treatment for alcoholism, autism, obsessive compulsive disorder, and major depression disorder. Based on recent research approved by government agencies, psilocybin appears to be making a comeback, particularly in the treatment of depression in terminally ill cancer patients. Further, Colorado just voted to decriminalize psilocybin, becoming the second state to do so behind Oregon. So how can you think for yourself? Take nothing for granted. Just because you hear something from someone or read an article or hear a soundbite doesn't mean a naturally occurring compound like psilocybin is inherently bad. This will allow you to expand your mind and allow you to think for yourself. Finally, big food. Would it surprise you to learn that only 10 companies control almost every large food and beverage brand in the world? It's true, and these companies include Nestle, PepsiCo, Coca-Cola, General Mills, Unilever, Kellogg's, Danone, Associated British Foods, Mondelez, and Mars. What these companies ultimately do is determine what they want to sell to us, and they market the hell out, heck out of it. Excuse me, market the heck out of it to induce a trial, figuring that if we try these highly palatable foods, we'll keep buying them. As for marketing, these companies are brilliant. They're genius marketers. They play on three psychological factors that all of us can fall prey to. The first is called the power of primacy. This is what we learn first. 
When I was a child, my mother gave me Jif peanut butter. It's not coincidental that Jif peanut butter is my preferred peanut butter of choice, and I've tried dozens of them. It's what I tasted first. This is what peanut butter tastes like, above and beyond the fact that the person I trusted the most, in this case my mom, gave it to me. It's extraordinarily powerful, known as the power of primacy. So whatever we are exposed to first has tremendous power over us. The next is the power of recency. This is, this is what we are exposed to most recently. And depending on the persuasiveness of the message, how ultimately convincing it is, any sort of social pressure that is attached to it, we will bite on what we learn most recently. And this can have considerable power over us. And then lastly, what's called the salience principle. This is what is most prominent in our life. This is the thing that's in our face the most. It's not coincidental that when we see marketing and advertising messages, we see it over and over and over again. It generally takes a handful of times for us to recognize the message. It takes even more times for us to actually take some sort of action, whether it's getting more information or actually engaging in a transaction. Marketers play with the salience principle knowing that they have to keep it in front of us in order for us to take certain action. Very, very powerful. You know, they're extraordinarily adept at convincing us that consuming their products will make our life better despite the voluminous evidence to the contrary related to chronic overweight and obesity. Now remember, we're talking about big food. And really at the end of the day, these companies don't care if we consume it. They really only care if we buy it. And so how can you think for yourself? Understand that when you go into a grocery store, what you're seeing is an illusion of choice and you need to be able to reconcile that you live with an illusion of choice. From there, question whether or not you want to conduct business with these companies, and this will give you the option of breaking free if you want to, if you want to think for yourself. As we wrap up another episode of the Quest for Life podcast, give some thought to the logical fallacy known as argument of authority, which is when people perceive what an authority figure or authorities believe to be true must be true. Let me say that again. It's when we look to an authority and we look to the authority's belief as to what's true as if it is in fact true. What makes this challenging is that we generally have good reasons to believe the experts or authorities, such as the news media or climate experts or medical doctors. Keep in mind, however, that everyone has an agenda. Whether we like it or not, however benevolent or malevolent, everyone has an agenda. And people become married to their thoughts, ideas, and perspectives, even if they're flawed in a minor way or flawed fundamentally. Therefore, I encourage each of you to become a healthy skeptic and interrogate the truth when you're willing and able to do so. You may be surprised how your truth evolves. And as always, it's food for thought, fellow questers. If you want to see this content in written form, be sure to check out the Quest for Life blog at thequestforlife.com. After you do, be sure to pass this episode on to a friend you might think would benefit. And don't hesitate to leave a five-star rating or even write a review. I'd certainly appreciate it. Thank you for joining the conversation.